0: the Tell It Like It Is podcast, where leading female founders, industry trailblazers, and all-around badass women tell it like it really is. I'm your host, Cassandra Ray. Our guest today is founder and chief copywriter at UZIG Alzag, a UK-based copywriting collective and content strategy agency. Over the last decade, she's circled the globe, living in London, Sydney, and New York, and is currently based in Bristol, or as she likes to put it, the city that definitely sleeps. In between navigating visa applications and assembling flat-pack furniture, she's also earned a global following as a stand-up comic, sketch writer, and UCB-trained improviser, which she credits for bringing a uniqueness and sense of humor to her content writing. Joining me is the highly talented and hilarious Rachel Ainsbury.
1: Hi, Cassandra. Thank you. It was a very uh, nice
0: welcome. Yes, thanks very much. Um, all very earned. <laughs> I, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I want to congratulate you on launching UZIG Alzag. Um, you want to just start by telling a little bit uh, about what you do in your own words?
1: Yeah. Um, so, in a nutshell, uh, we help clients tell their story. Uh, and encourage readers uh, of their content to take action. Um, So the bulk of our work um, is kind of focused on um, telling that story, building that narrative, um, but also focusing on how to convert readers um, and to take steps to find out more about that product or that brand. Um, So that might be uh, through writing blog posts, um, scripts for podcasts, updating their website copy, uh, social media posts, and a lot of website stuff. Um, So yeah, that kind of thing.
0: So what did you think of our script?
1: I think it's great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, as long as it's it's Rachel approved. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I think, you know, we have to jump into the big topic at the moment. We're recording this um, just towards the middle, beginning, middle of May uh, 2020. So how has COVID-19 affected your business?
1: I honestly, I'm I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, We've really not been affected, and if anything, it's actually worked in the on the flip for us um, because clients are doubling down on their communication, and now with digital being the only way that they can reach their clients, um, it's meant that the importance of getting their content right, trying new things like video, um, that's kind of that's been their area of focus, which means. Sadly and great. Uh, we've been super busy. Um, so yeah. (laughs) Mm. So is there anything
0: that, you know, companies are doing that it's really effective now at cutting through the noise?
1: Um, I think, I mean, something that I'm always really keen to push with my clients is just doing, doing what feels the most challenging and the most fearful, I guess, for them. Um, it's So video content, um, doing something fun, like using TikTok and kind of embracing the more chilled vibe that's coming through. So, you know, now we're quite used to seeing like CEOs of big brands at home with their kids. Um, and there's kind of more there's more humility um, to brands. So I think being relevant and real um, but that, the, yeah, there's there's kind of no secret to it. It's just being honest and down to earth. And I think if you continue doing that, then you're going to cut through um, at the moment, especially.
0: Okay, so I have to ask a question because you, you mentioned TikTok. <laughs> yes.
1: I don't get it. <laughs> well, not, nor did I, to be honest. It okay. was like <laughs> Tell me. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs>
0: It's, How is it different from every other video, like YouTube, Instagram
1: stories or or YouTube? I think the thing with TikTok is the community aspect of everyone doing the same thing. So you'd have seen, um, there's this one dance called Renegade, which was the first dance that I learned. And I'm like embarrassed to actually say this out loud. My little, my cousin taught me who's, she's 13. Um And at first I was like, what the hell is this? Like, why am I doing this? And then you watch other people doing it and you kind of get addicted to it. And then you see John Cena doing it with his cute three-year-old. And you're like, okay, that's really cute. Um, But there's some really creative uh, brands that are kind of jumping on it and using it to their advantage. And they're just, it's just fun. I mean, it's really fun and you can't help but smile. I just end up scrolling through TikTok and laughing my ass off, basically. So, yeah. I don't know if that actually was a helpful explanation of what it is, but... <laughs> I still don't understand, like, why <laughs> How
0: is it different than YouTube that would people just do video... Why, why not just post the video of yourself dancing on YouTube
1: and everybody copies it there? because i don't know actually that's a really good question god i'm really good at this (laughs) why why it's it's where all the dances originate it's it's a platform for specifically for those things for silly dances and like really short clips i don't know is the answer but i know it's fun you know when you see it yeah yeah well, I think that actually leads me to kind of
0: a, a good business related question when it comes to this stuff, because I feel like, you know, content is the new black and everybody knows they should be on the socials and they should be, um, you know, developing content and putting it out there and putting lots of it out there. And I feel like every single brand I engage with sends me a lot of content and some of it feels like content for the sake of content. and. Yeah. Other feels like, oh, that's something that would be interesting to me or, or, you know, in line with the reasons that I engage with the brand in the first place. I mean, how do you measure the performance of a content? You know, what, is, what's, what, what does good look like?
1: That's a really good question. And it's so varied depending on the product um, and the audience that they're, they're trying to hit. I think as a general overarching rule, humor and humility... Are my kind of benchmarks for any writing or any content that's coming out of a business or brand, um, and that's those are kind of the two markers that I'll I'll be looking at when we put content out. I think if it's snappy, brief, and relevant to you, to the person receiving it, and it's going to hit. If it isn't, and if it's salesy, then. That's bad content, and like you just said if it if it feels like content for content's sake, like they just feel like they have to churn something out on a weekly basis and trust me, like I work with people who who do that um but if you're not if you're not iterating and testing um, your content, then that's bad <laughs> like good good brands and good clients that I work with are constantly looking to see what resonates what's hitting what's being clicked through on like what's actually being picked up and if it isn't then they'll change and they'll they'll pivot so I think yeah what does good look like it depends on the audience so it can be totally different things for for different brands I really like the briefer the better for me Mm-hmm. I, I really like visuals. I really like video content. And the more kind of the more that I feel like I'm being let behind the curtain of a brand, the more I'm interested. And I think I, I feel like that's a very common um, approach at the moment is to... And again, that kind of ties into the whole coronavirus, like seeing the CEOs at home. And it's, it's that kind of, again, humility and... Courage to just be like, hey, this is us. And so what we do, I think helpful content, uh, if content isn't offering something in some way for free. So, you know, I want to, I want to learn about how to be a better leader. I want to learn how to build trust with my team. You know, tell me how to do it. Don't make me work hard for it. I think those brands, they're doing content well.
0: Hmm. I think it's interesting that, you you know, you've mentioned this balance between humility and humor already a couple of times. And it's clear that you personify that in your own personal style. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet I feel that a lot of women in particular, not only women, of course, but a lot of women in particular might err a little bit too much on the side of humility um, and be a little bit afraid to have the courage to step into their own strengths and, and um, and be confident about them. How do you manage that balance internally?
1: Um, so being, so, um, you know, asking for the, asking for the sale kind of thing. Mm. Yeah.
0: Um, or even just, so, I mean, not to put you on the spot, but, you know, I noticed that um, in my introduction, you know, you said, oh, thanks for that. And I said, all earned. And you said, oh, well, some of it. I know.
1: Um, I know. <laughs> out. No, don't. Um, yeah, God, it's, It is, I think we're going to come on to this, but it is really hard as a woman to own that, to ask for what you want. I mean, it is is tricky to kind of strike that balance. And I totally hear what you're saying. It's like, you don't want to be so humble that you're actually not asking for what you want or getting your audience to do the thing you want. It's definitely about, yeah, being, you know, having that... (laughs) I was gonna say the B word. Um, <laughs> balls. You can um, say the B. Yeah, you can say the funny. B. word. Yeah. The labia. <laughs> um, yeah, you have to have the. Oh God. The whereas, go honest Yes, that's it. That's it. Yeah, no, it is. It is about this, and I, I really, actually, this is this is something I really struggle with here in the UK. So when I was in New York. Of course, it's all about the confidence. It's all about asking for it. It's about going for the jugular. It's about, hey, we're really awesome as a brand, but we have this thing and you need it because it does this X, Y, Z. Mm. Whereas in the UK, I find that it really is kind of that, like, let's just pussyfoot around a little bit. Let's just kind of be a bit more. And I think having that experience in the US, I'm like, no, you do need to say I want you to take this action. Um, But there are definitely ways you can do it that aren't so in your face or brash that would be, you know, totally normal. Yeah.
0: I mean, as somebody who, you know, I've spent many years, obviously I was American, as you can tell from the accent. I grew up in California, but spent five years living in New York City, um, have spent over 10, I think almost 12 living on and off uh, in the UK now. Um, And I really think that particularly not just American, but that kind of New York culture Mm -hmm. and British culture have a lot to learn from one another. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's this really happy balance between being really confident in what you have to offer and knowing that that is a value to some people and also having the humility, a, to know it's not for everybody and B to know other people can probably do it too. And, um, uh, and yeah, getting that balance right when you're speaking to an international audience is really important.
1: Yeah, yeah that that is really interesting too. Um, if you are a global brand, kind of how you how you manage that, whether you have kind of slightly different versions of things, um, and that's that is something I work up with on. Well, oh God, I can't see work with clients on. Um, yeah, no, it is. It is such an interesting topic because it, yeah, at the end of the day, you are. You are, at, through content, the, the sole purpose of content is to invoke a reaction and a, um, you know, a continued experience with your brand. And if, if people aren't taking that action, then, you, you know, your content really has failed. Unless the purpose of your content is purely just to flap around in someone's inbox and never get read, which... <laughs> <laughs> because you're not doing it right. <laughs> Content for content's sake. Yeah. yeah.
0: So speaking of international audiences, um, you are also a comedian. hmm I uh I know that you have performed and perfected your craft in several different countries around the world. Do you alter, you know, the your style at all to different international audiences?
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely, I—I I mean, in in the states, I would say there's almost an expectation for female comics to be more brash, uh, kind of get to the point quicker. Whereas here in the UK, I think, you know, <sighs> one one time a guy said to me, "He's like, nobody wants to hear your period jokes." <laughs> oh my god I was like I disagree with you wholeheartedly I think plenty of people want to hear them Um, Rachel I want to hear your period jokes (laughs) (laughs) not now (laughs) um yeah it's and I think I I I just thought you know what like this is the thing with comedy like it's not it's not for everybody and even no matter who's in your audience like some of it's going to resonate some of it's going to hit some of it isn't like you're not always going to get a laugh from every single person sat there but yeah certainly for the UK audience you definitely um (laughs) definitely get some more blank stares um with some of the material that I would probably get huge belly laughs from uh in the states so yeah but it's hard because then you don't, you don't want to be changing yourself. And this is something that I, I struggle with personally is kind of adapting my personality to be um, big and small, which I think as women, we do a lot. We shrink mm. ourselves down. Um, that's mm. the whole topic. Um, kind of like dimming your light, depending on who you're with, um, which is complete bullshit. And yeah, we should not have to feel like we, we need to do that, but we do. Uh, mm. We know we're doing it or not.
0: Yeah. So, I remember in my, particularly in my twenties, mm-hmm. um, when I was, you know, I, th- I think it's wrong to say I was like stressed about whether or not I was going to find my, you know, the love of my life. But, um, but I feel as though it, it occupied a lot of my thought, you know, yeah. um, and I, and I remember saying over and over again to anybody who would listen, basically that I don't want to have to make my, like, I, w- I don't want to have to make myself small to yeah. make somebody else feel big. Yeah. And, and you know, that's true in our romantic lives, but certainly in our professional lives too.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So how many times have you gotten the question, what is it like to be a woman in comedy? <gasps> yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so cliche now. I mean, why do you think it, it keeps being asked? I mean, I don't, I don't understand why it keeps being asked. Why, what is it like to be a woman in anything?
1: Because people people immediately assume it's harder. I think whether they it's conscious or not, he's like, "Wow!" Or or my favorite, "How brave!" Oh my god, how brave of you! How brave! You're (laughs) so brave! I'm like, no, I fucking shit myself every time I go up on stage. Like I literally am going to do a massive poo before I go up there. But you do it, and it's like, okay. Why don't men, why don't people say that to men?
0: Why? Yeah. what is it like to be a man in comedy? Yeah. I bet it's, I bet it's very similar to being a
1: woman in comedy. Yes, exactly. It's not, it's, there's, there is no difference. There is no difference. Like men, like I know plenty of male comics who are the same, you know, um, they shit themselves too. Mm. Um, yeah. It's
0: By fun. the way, I don't know if you know of Bernay Brown. I love Brene Brown. I love Brene Brown too. And <laughs> Brene Brown would say it is precisely because you shit yourself as you're going on stage that it is brave to go.
1: Yeah. 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 Exactly. Basically anything that comes out of that woman's mouth is gold.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. So you are brave. You are brave. Thank you. Thank
1: and yeah, as much as it
0: is, you know, comedies, we've said you know lots of things are the same. I'm sure same nerves, you know, some difficulty kind of breaking through. Yeah. But it is still you know, one of the male dominated industries, Mm -hmm. um, you know, do you think that the fight's been won that, that, you know, it's just as hard for a man as it is for a woman and vice versa to break it in comedy?
1: Um, I would, I mean, I would say, and I am still fairly green, uh, in the whole comedy world, but I would say we're in a much better place. Um, I know for a fact that in my area, the promoters, the promoters tend to be male. There are more female promoters now, um, which is great. And the men that I know are actively trying to recruit more females to fill the spots in their in their open mics uh, and their shows, which is really good. And that that's something that I see a lot. And you know, then there's this whole guys obviously jumping on there going come on why can't we get spots and it's like it's been so hard for us (laughs) you've had spots for the last 100 years let us in so there's a yeah there's definitely a like um really proactive um I'm trying to think of the word um there's a proactivity around getting more female on stages which is which is great but No, the the fight has not been won. Like the fight hasn't hasn't been won by a long a long stretch. (laughs) In terms of your audiences,
0: do you do you find that you know women or men resonate with your material more, or you think it's sort of equally
1: Um, enjoyable for all? I personally feel far more confident and comfortable in front of a female audience. I feel that, I mean, that's due to the bulk of my material being very female oriented. Um, So, yeah, I I have a, I know we're going to talk about have I bombed and just to give you some insight. I once did a set in front of a completely male audience and mostly also comics. And it was the funniest and worst experience of my life because my material just there was nothing in it that they found remotely amusing like I'm talking not not even a noise in the audience like not just just blank stares
0: and had this been material you had you'd use elsewhere to yes
1: yes and to absolute uproar like laughter not uproar as in anger (laughs) That would not, that's not what I want. Not not the effect you're going for. (laughs) But yeah, like I had, I had a whole room, like absolutely pissing themselves. And then, you know, two weeks later, I do it again and just absolutely. And that's really, it's really hard because, you know, there's no, there are no metrics. There's no HubSpot behind my set. There's no, there's no Google Analytics where I can go and go, okay, well, they clicked through it on that joke. Like it's really all weird all we rely on as comics is is a laugh like that's how you know to to you know change your set and iterate and double down on on certain jokes so when an audience doesn't laugh at anything like it's not it's not that personally I didn't find it that it wasn't embarrassing it was actually just really funny because I, I actually could kind of work that into the set as well like wow um This is this is uh, going well. We have a room of mutes. um, Blah blah blah. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure I didn't even have the cojones to say that at the time. But yeah, I think you know when it is really it's really it's really difficult when you get nothing. But you know, I, I think
0: there's something to be said for segmenting audiences based on life experience you know, and it's not so, it's not necessarily about gender, but there are just certain things in life that you're going to experience as a woman. Then it's the same thing as a man, you know, and it would make sense that you would find that material more relatable or more funny. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I really admire, uh, anybody that is getting, particularly in the arts where, like you said, your feedback is so immediate Mm -hmm. and there's nothing you can do to hide from it. You know, um, I mean, I think a lot of us put ourselves out there in ways that feel dangerous, um, you know, to our own egos. Right. So we write something and we hope people click on it. We hope people like it. We put an opinion out there on Twitter and, you know, Mm -hmm. wait for the world to either agree or disagree. But Mm -hmm. you're on stage and you've got, I don't know, how long is your normal set? Uh, Five to ten,
1: ten minutes.
0: I mean, ten minutes is a long time to be on stage if it's not working for the audience.
1: It is a very long time.
0: (laughs) What do you think? How do you think that the resilience you build doing something like that spills over into kind of the other parts of your life?
1: Um, I mean, it definitely builds tenacity. That's for sure. Um, I think you realize that it's, it's not actually that scary when it happens, which is the same in the business world as well, you know, having difficult conversations with clients, if something's not working, um, you know, it all comes back to just being honest and real and accepting that something needs to change, whether that's material that I've written or, um, a blog post that had, you know, subpar click throughs. It's about owning it and revising and pivoting, um, And iterating. And that's, that's, that's the biggest part of what we do uh, in my company is it's iterate um, and test if something's not working. And it's the same in the comedy world as well with my material. It's if something's not working, or it just needs tweaking. And I think, you know, somebody said to me once, or I think lots of people have said this, but writing isn't writing, writing is rewriting. Yes. Yeah. To write is to edit. To write is to edit. Exactly. And it's the same. It's the same in comedy. Like you are, your set is a constant uh, evolution. And what brands and uh, companies are putting out there needs to also be a constant evolution. Um, Because things change. Things change. People's tastes for things change. Um, uh, You know, nothing has... Knocked us for six as much as coronavirus, and proven that even the most corporate brands can actually pivot to be superhuman and people love it. And so, yeah, it's really, it is definitely something that flows directly into into my work. Um, but I think learning that, you know, the younger you can learn and to get back up from knockbacks and to, um, see every single challenge and every single failure and i mean i think we've talked about the wonderful elizabeth day and her podcast how to fail mm. like if you can if you can make yourself back up after those things like the learnings you have are they're incredible
0: yeah and it's like i i feel like it's like anything it you know do you remember the first time i don't know if this happened to you but the <laughs> first time i broke up with somebody the first time i fell in love oh, and of course we broke up and it felt like the end of the world, you know, yes. I don't know, 15. And I just, and I remember thinking like, how does anybody move on from this? Like this is yes. just, you know, and I mean, it's a little bit cynicism, I guess, in your older age, but you start to realize, oh, you know, you can have a broken heart and the, that hope that broken <laughs> heart can mend. And, um, and then you can go on living your life and fall in love again in a different way and have another broken heart, you know, and it's, yes. it's, um, it's the same thing actually, because rejection is a broken heart. I mean, at least that's how I experience
1: it. You know, it breaks my heart to be rejected This that someone doesn't like it. me. Yeah. That's so true. That is exactly how it feels. That's exactly yeah. how it feels. Um, have
0: you heard of the free write? No. Okay, I'm intrigued by this product and I'm determined to find somebody who uses it. Um, so it, from what I can understand, it's essentially a mix between a typewriter... Yeah. Word processing um, machine. (laughs) Is that the right word? Word processing machine? Uh, So all you can do on it is type, even though it is connected to Wi-Fi. So you can back up your work on the cloud and send it to yourself. And you can't, I don't know if it's that you can't go back in a race or it's very, very difficult. They make it very difficult to go back in a race because the whole idea, it's just for writers. And the idea is, you need to type on something that is tactile because we all know as much as we love Apple, their keyboards are increasingly more and more shit. Yeah. Because um, there's no like tactile feel when you touch a button. And um, so they have these tactile buttons and you all you can do is just write and you can't correct your work. So it's just free flow writing for first drafts. Um, wow. I know.
1: I'm, I'm looking at this right now. This is
0: inc- incredible. I, is it? I mean, it's kind of incredible, right? It's kind of incredible. I really want to try it. The price point's a little high to try it and, you know, not like it. But um, but I'm just, I really want to find somebody who's actually had firsthand experience, you know, yeah. writer who has, you know has, oh, this, has this change. So I find it very, very difficult. As much as I know that to write is to edit and the most important thing is to get a first draft down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I find it very difficult to not correct as I go and not, you know, I'll do three sentences and then I'll want to tweak, you know, words in those sentences, which is so mm-hmm. stupid because, you know, you need to get a full piece down maybe if it's not full novel but you need to get a chunk down um in order to kind of have a bird's eye view to see what needs to be moved around and things but
1: yeah yeah yeah. I read um one of the first books I read or not first I've read many books um I only started reading just a couple of weeks ago (laughs) Um, I read a great book by HBR um who produced the most amazing books about all sorts of topics, um, but it was, I'm trying to look around my room to see if I can find it. It's not in here. Uh, but it was basically about how to write and how you have this artist um, who's like, I don't think they call it the artist, they call it like the crazy one who like just goes in there and just starts writing and writes this crazy first draft that makes absolutely no sense. And then you have the architect and the architect is, um he's eaten trained. He comes in and he, he, um looks through the work and he 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 applies a framework. Um, and I just, that's always stuck in my head. It's just like, just go nuts, get everything out of your head and then come back as this different person. Mm. That's really important. Um, so I think the reason I never became
0: well practiced in that is because of course our first experiences of writing are as school children. mm -hmm. Um, and I always wanted to do my assignment right before it was due. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I never, I never had the time to write it, take, take some perspective, let it sit for a day or two and then come back to it, which yeah. is what they always told you to do. But yes. yeah, you can't do that when you're writing, you know, you're writing your term paper that's due in three hours, you know, you're trying to finish it,
1: you know. Yeah, no, that's, that's also in this book as well. Like you need a day. You need you. It's like sleeping on it is scientifically proven to, to work. Like you need to have that separation, and you know things are working in the back of your brain, um, working out, clicking into place. And when you come back to something, you're like, "What the fuck was I trying to say?" Yeah. And all of a sudden, it just comes. Um. Yeah.
0: The older I get, the more I feel that the answer to almost any question is sleep. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes, I would wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with you there. Uh, yeah. yeah, Everything is
0: bad. Everything is worse when you haven't had sleep, and sleep oh, yes. allows you to address almost every. I mean, and it sounds so cliche and trite, but it's really true.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it is as as a as an ex sleep hater uh, come sleep lover. I completely did you hate sleep. I just used to be. I mean, I'm quite a, a frenetic person, an energetic person, and I just hated going to bed because I just didn't want the day to end, and I just hated being in bed because the day hadn't started. And I felt I've never been a morning person. That said, but I don't know. I just didn't see the value in sleep, and now it's like this secret special thing. I was like going to bed at nine o'clock just feels so rewarding and exciting and luxurious
0: it feels indulgent doesn't it
1: oh so indulgent, indulgent. like yeah. having a shower before you get and getting into clean yeah. sheets and like oh god where it used to feel indulgent to go and party all night now, now it's just I think this is more about our age to be fair yeah. um but yeah it's uh it's definitely it's definitely a necessity necessity uh for good work as well.
0: So is, is this newfound love of sleep the reason you moved from crazy, chaotic cities like New York to the city that definitely sleeps?
1: Good question. Yes and no. Um, I mean, we we moved to get closer to my family um, primarily. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say that it's been it's been a really good shift um, from a self-care perspective. I'm definitely sleeping more. We live in the countryside as well, which going from Brooklyn is is a big change. And at first, it was a horrible change um, in terms of we liked convenience and now we don't even have a coffee shop near us. Um, no coffee shop.
0: I mean, well, we're all living like that now, but...
1: Yeah, it's really like you have to drive to get to places like we live in a village where there is nothing there's nothing there is there's just nothing here there's not even a shop so if you want anything you make it in the kitchen or you you drive and that's really the kind of weirdest change and also like walking around Brooklyn like just going to places like especially from a comedy perspective like in the uh, bars and restaurants and just popping out like that's really really hard to wrap your head around but then obviously being able to see families lovely and um yeah it has its they, they both have their pros and cons
0: my career relies on serendipity a lot of times and it's hard you know i have to engineer that serendipity by going to lots of things and meeting lots of people and mm-hmm. uh, seeing where the contacts are so how do you I mean, yours is a business as well that would rely on new contacts, new relationships, both in terms of, you know, you zig all zag and also your comedy career. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you engineer serendipity from the country?
1: Is a great question. Um, We, well, we're, well, 25 to 30 minutes out of Bristol. So I, before, obviously, the the situation, um I would drive in and I had classes and things like that. So I would, and and I had to actively force myself to do that, which is what you will have to do if you live outside of the city. And I'm a super social person. It sounds like you are as well. And I, I need that contact with people. I need to riff off other business owners. I need to know not just from a getting new business standpoint, but just, I think personally to keep my, um, my interests and my, uh, I don't know, you kind of, and we're all losing our, like, I don't know what to call it, the je ne sais quoi, like the, um, the energy and the momentum that you have when you're constantly going to events and meeting different people. And, you know, you get so invigored by, meeting someone who's just set up their own company and they're really looking to tell their brand story and they really need somebody. And that's so, like you said, it's serendipity and it's happenstance. It's like, it only happens if you're there. Um, so I guess for me, I, I mean, (laughs) being remote first anyway, um, it's not a huge leap from where I was. Um, But I'm definitely like relying on lots of Facebook groups like there's freelancing females, um, which is fantastic. And just really tapping into those freelance kind of networks and those early founder networks and small business networks, which there's loads on LinkedIn um, and just trying to be as proactive as I possibly can um, to make sure I'm still connecting um, from a business and from a personal standpoint so i 'm not just going absolutely mad mm. um,
0: but I mean it occurs to me that we 're you know all in this situation now, of course with the with coronavirus, so um we 're all having to think about you know our own personal whether it 's what we need socially but also our professional development yeah in, in isolation you know and so having to think more creatively about about how we reach out i mean are there any particular communities or um, platforms that you, you know, maybe the two or three that you think are especially good?
1: Um, I mean, I've mentioned it already, but freelancing females is a group, um, where kind of, as I was deciding to pivot from working full time and starting the business, I was kind of hanging around like a little, uh, weirdo in the background. Um, and I've made, I've, I've hired people through there. I've met a lot of great people. I've got clients through there. So that's kind of one, one network. Um, I've been using masterclass. I've been using masterclass.
0: Oh, snap. But I didn't, I haven't been using the community aspect. Is there a
1: community aspect? I know I don't know I haven't either we should look into that
0: oh okay all right I thought that's what you okay, <laughs> okay. but no, yes, I, I watched David Sedaris's master class just
1: recently oh did you yeah. I, that's, kind of like, that's on my backlist
0: yeah I'm, I'm a fan I'm a huge fan
1: okay I need to watch it yeah I'm a massive I mean I love his sister Amy she's one of my favorite comedians so um yeah, yeah. oh interesting yeah and then other communities I mean there's there are local communities down here in Bristol um That I'm part of. Um, trying to think,
0: what else have you watched? On, let's just pack up. What, what else have you watched on Masterclass recently?
1: Oh my god, I watched Christina Aguilera.
0: <laughs> Did she teach you how to sing? Did she teach you how to sing? Yeah, she's
1: so well. Yeah, it's quite. I don't. I find. I find the Masterclass is quite in, self indulgent a lot of the time for the for the artists. Um, yeah. I watched Natalie Portman. Okay. I've watched.
0: Um, I've only watched two, so I guess yeah, you're probably ahead of me. I watched RuPaul.
1: Oh, my friend watched that and said it was amazing. It
0: was really, it was really good.
1: You know, and it was really, really good, really detailed, like exactly how you do the makeup, right? Um, I don't think so. No, I wouldn't say it was super detailed in that
0: way. I mean, he does do a couple of episodes at the end, but actually, it's more about. This like path to self love.
1: <laughs> that's what she said. She was like, "I feel like I've had therapy with Rue." Yeah.
0: yeah, it is. It's like therapy with Rue. It's it's like if if you were gonna go to Rue, like if Rue was a friend of yours, and you were gonna say, "Rue, like in I'm so sad. Can you help me out a little bit?" And he sat you down and said, "We're gonna, you know, you're amazing, and let me tell you why." That's that's what it felt like.
1: Okay, I need I need that in my life right now. Yeah, I
0: I mean it was a little. It was like. It was like brain and heart candy. That oh, sounds so cheesy, but it was. It was brain and heart candy.
1: Coming out with all the cheesy, cheesy phrases today. <laughs> like it though. Um, yeah, in terms of other community things, I, I have to admit, like, I'm, I, this is going to sound so wanky. I am so busy right now. I actually don't have time hmm. to kind of participate in things. I'm trying to keep my personal writing going as well. Um, what do you write personally? Oh, you know, some scripty stuff. Um, I really, really, really want to write a sitcom. Um, com- yeah, a, a, a comedy, sketch, showy sitcom. Um, and it's something that I've been thinking about for a really long time. And I've done lots of very short sketches. Um, but now I need to kind of put them together into a book and make make something happen. Yeah. I'm I'm very I feel I mean I watch a lot of TV. Um I'm a massive fan of this country. I'm not sure if you've watched that. No. No. I um, really
0: have fallen behind on my TV since I had Leo to be Yeah. yeah. Because I, I fall asleep now at night. Not because I mean the content can be great, but I just I just fall asleep. Well, yeah. I never used to. I used to be able to watch TV like you would not believe. Nobody could out TV me. I could sit <laughs> and watch TV for weeks and I
1: just fall asleep. Yeah. I mean, and as we know, sleep is, sleep is gold. So, right. I, you know, I won't hold it. I feel it. that
0: one day I will catch up on all of the things I've missed on Netflix and, you know, all the rest
1: it's there's just so there's so much good TV and I feel like they've released loads of other TV shows because of obviously coronavirus um Mm -hmm. there's a bunch that we've watched recently I mean normal people on the BBC that's got a lot of buzz you should watch that That's that's serious um there's a great TV show with two Irish um two Irish comedians I can never remember what it's called but it is honestly. What I, what I love and what I aspire to be eventually is a writer that can just take mundane daily situations and just make them into the most beautiful, like eye-wateringly sad and moving moments while still keeping, retaining the comedy. I really explained that badly, basically.
0: I think you explained that perfectly. You?
1: Okay. Yeah, I really
0: think you explained that perfectly. But but feel free to explain it again if you feel like you, you didn't.
1: For the listeners who didn't understand, I just, <laughs> I love, I love it. I mean, it's kind of like the royal family um, and I guess the office. But when you just take something so bloody boring and can make it into something so beautiful, like I actually, I, I cry at these shows sometimes. I'm like, how the fuck? These writers are so talented. I just want to go and say something uh-huh. like, I don't know how you did that, but you made, it's kind of like Ricky Gervais in Afterlife. Like they have yeah. the most insane ability to make something out of nothing or just to pull on a thread and, you know, and again, this comes back to humility and humanity and it's real and authentic and genuine and honest.
0: But I have noticed kind of speaking of, um, you know, kind of networks of, of women or, or just women in general that you have referenced a couple of networks online and otherwise that you are a part of that, you know, are focused on women. So, you know, I know that you, you mentioned, um, female freelancers. Um, I think we actually got connected by a friend who was in a, a another, yeah. um, female group on Facebook. Um, and I know that you're a member of funny women, Um, Yeah, community that's also dedicated to supporting female comedians. So what do you, what value do you think women um, get in having these networks of other
1: women specifically? Oh my gosh, so much. Um, I mean, just from a validation standpoint that you're, you know, you can do whatever you want to do, basically. Like funny women, for example, like there's chapters all across the country Chapter sounds like a religious cult or a pyramid scheme. I mean, like that's what they call them. Um, but they're so they like some of the most warm, funniest, caring, and supportive women that I've ever met. Who will absolutely back you, help you, uh, lift you up, just support you in what you want to achieve. And I think that's the same for any of these groups. It's it's kind of finding like-minded people who um, who kind of just. Do anything for you, really, and just connect you with whatever you're trying to achieve, and it's those connections that, you know, will get you to to wherever you're where you're going. Um, but yeah, they're, they're invaluable, really, for me. They're invaluable knowing that I can reach out to people, and I've like that's the thing. Like I've gone to, I've met like a person once at a Funny Woman event, and since then she's invited me to her she has like a writing group and then through that I've met other people and then I've found writing partners through that and it's just like you know it's a serendipity again it's just they le- it leads to other things and I think being open to that and being open to joining as many of these groups and obviously there's a you've got to be realistic about it about how much you can actually fit in your life um but they are super valuable and do you think that there's you know, a
0: particular added value to being in groups that are you know groups of women, or do you think that's you know because there's there's obviously a debate that that's maybe a bit overplayed, and actually what what women should do, what anybody should do, is be in you know, groups about the work, for example, instead of instead of the those that are gender based.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I, I do think that. <laughs> It's really it's a real hard one. I mean, funny women have, I believe, have opened up to men as well, or anyone identifying as whatever they are identifying as. They're they're kind of like you know you can you can be part of this, but I think I don't know. There's so much to be learned. It's difficult, isn't it? But then there's some instances where yes, you do need to be surrounded by females. You know, obviously, um, there are there are so many times when I just want a female audience to talk to me and validate something. Or if I'm talking about an experience I've had of sexism or, um, I, I would prefer to kind of spitball with a female, with a female group, but then I don't, but then it's hard because, you know, I, I know my husband, he gives me so much amazing advice and I would hate to not have that in my life or hate to limit myself. So I think they have a place. I think they have a place. But yeah, I think I feel like right now it feels weird and a bit icky when we're like boss women and uh, female entrepreneurs or whatever you call them. It just, it doesn't sit well with me. I don't think we need to, I don't know. Mm. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, I, t- I think it's a live, complicated you know subject that we should we should have a nuanced conversation about or or at least nuanced thoughts about you know um, i mean i'm i find real value in learning from other people who like i said before have had similar life experiences to me you know yeah. so i can see myself in them and understand from their mistakes and learn from their successes and um and there's just no getting away from the fact that i am a woman so for yeah. me i have I, there's value in, in, for me in talking to and learning from and being with, you know, groups of women, but that's not the only group I find valuable to be in. Exactly. But I would find, but I would find my life, you know, I think, uh, would be lacking if, if I didn't have those networks too of women and just women to, to, like you said, spitball off of sometimes just as much as I would some of my other networks that are, are diverse in other ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, on that note, <laughs> switching uh, switching gears a little bit here, um, mm-hmm. I want to end on a few quick-ish fire questions. Uh, there's no there's no hurry with these. If there if uh, if you want to expand, um, but I like to call this the the Tilly round um, or standing on the shoulder of giants. So mm-hmm. um, these are kind of questions that I feel like we often talk about with our friends, but not so much on a, a public sphere. And I think people would you know, all value from, from hearing the answers from other women. So let's jump in again. What's one lesson you learned the hard
1: way? Ooh, don't talk shit about people behind their back.
0: Oh, that's such a good one. (laughs) Such a good one. You must tell me how you learned that the hard way.
1: Oh my gosh in uh in a few different ways really badly um oh my gosh i so one time i i told my husband that i didn't like my boss and i was quite verbal this is when we just got together actually and he went up to this boss at a party and said to her drunk obviously I can't believe Rachel doesn't like you. <gasps> oh, no. This is a very like comic and over the top example. <sighs> um, but yeah, that, uh, but we managed to somehow get around it. it, it was, how did you, how did you- <laughs> he actually, he came over to me and he said, he said, I just told, let's call her Katie. I've just told Katie that you, you didn't like, you don't like her by accident. Oh he said I can't believe it was basically I think he didn't realize that she was my boss or something like that anyway uh we managed to like wiggle out of it but that was that was a uh, that was bad but also just it always gets back to people they will find out one way or another and then you are going to have to have a really awkward conversation mm-hmm. with somebody and there's just no need for it if you have i think if you have an issue with somebody that is driving you to talk about them behind their back just check in with yourself, like I do it. I sometimes start to talk shit, and then I'm like, Rachel, this means you have something to address with that person, and you need to be adult enough and <laughs> have brave the, enough. Sometimes brave enough, yeah, because sometimes it is it is awkward and scary. But this is part of being a business owner. This is part of being a, a human, and you just have to you just have to, to talk, talk to them about it. And you know what? It always it always goes much better than you imagine in your head mm. um but yes my other <laughs> my other uh, lesson I learned the hard way was sending a budget document to a client with all of the profit margins outlined in it um that, oh that's yeah that was uh that was a really early early on mistake when I was in uh a marketing agency so we had this huge spreadsheet that had the whole project kind of costed out and we used to send it to the client because it was, it was experiential marketing. So it was like a live running campaign throughout the year and the cost would change and blah, blah, blah. And we would send it to them with all of the, the profit, you know, bits and bobs hidden and doofus here just sends it over to the head of the product over at Procter and Gamble, no less. And, um, yeah. You know, it's
0: interesting because my immediate reaction to that is, you know, two kind of polar opposites. One is like, oh my God, oh, I, can, I, like, I can so relate to how that would have felt. Yeah. Um, and of course, that was a huge mistake. And another part of me is like, this is the real world where you have to make money to live. And so, of course, you're going to make a profit on the services you're charging. Just yeah. the way, you know, P&G makes a profit on, you know, what they sell us.
1: Exactly, and and the 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 outcome was that they actually did know it was already an agreed percentage. So thank God, thank (laughs) God, I was like, so we don't just make this stuff up. My boss is like, no, it's like an agreed, it's an agreed amount. Like it's how we make money, it's how we do business.
0: All right, (laughs) early lessons in entrepreneurship. (laughs) Yes. what's an opinion you once held strongly that you've since changed your mind about
1: this is such a good question um for me it was that the world offers you a finite amount of success and that somebody else being successful affects your success I think this is particularly something that women can feel um And I've just, I mean, this is something that I kind of thought throughout my 20s. It was like my, you know, watching other friends being more successful than me and thinking, God, like, this is so hard. And I just obviously now I look back on that and think, what an idiot, Um, because it's just such a limiting belief. Like you can achieve anything. Anyone can achieve anything. Um, But I think comparison has a lot to a big part to play in that um but yeah I've just realized that you know the world can offer everybody their wildest dreams there's no reason why it can't hmm. Hmm.
0: what's been your worst experience of mansplaining <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh my god there's so many i gosh I, can literally... I don't
0: i don't think i mean i just i have such wonderful men in my life you know in general but i don't think that it's really fully understood by them no. just how pervasive this is
1: you know no. <laughs> yeah. and i and i don't think a lot of men do this on purpose either i agree i agree i, I, agree. I, I feel like, and to be honest the example that i have is mostly just male clients explaining back to me the value of content. And I'm like, I know I run a business. That's what I do. And that's why you hired me. But like they just, or explaining something so, so simple. I, I, it's just, it's infuriating. And no matter how many times you say, I, I, understand what the value of this is because my entire life is based around it. <laughs> yeah. But this is you how I to- make my livelihood. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing it for a really long time now. Um yeah. yeah, I think that's that's kind of it. But I feel like it's, you know, it is like you said, it's pervasive and it's I don't think it's done in a malicious way often. Mm. Uh, but yeah, God, please stop, please. <laughs> have you ever
0: had a Me Too moment?
1: Yes, I have had a few actually, uh, sadly. Um, and most most of them, I would say, in my early career when I just wasn't strong enough and I didn't really know how to handle them. I worked in a really big media agency um, with lots of different agencies and there was so much so much stuff going down and um yeah I kind of don't really want to go into it in a lot of detail but there was there are definitely situations um at parties uh, that I would have handled a lot differently now I would handle um yeah so you know, I just,
0: this is not, this is not a Rachel therapy session. So, but, but I do just want to offer a little bit of a reaction. Um, yeah. I'm fairly new at this podcast, but not new at talking with, you know, my friends and other women about, uh, you know, stuff that a lot of people don't talk about things like the army Two moments. And um, I've noticed this pattern, this trend that mm-hmm. when I ask that question, the answers I get back almost inevitably, Involve. I would have done things differently. I would have held things differently. You know, if I had this to over again, it, and it's striking to me that even, you know, at a later stage in our life when we're more reflective and more mature, our uh, oftentimes our natural instinct can still be, I still did something wrong.
1: Yeah, and, this, and I do, and I do really feel like I was complicit. Like that's how I feel. Mm. Um, but now I know that that person was 50 years old and I was 23 Mm. and then I think come on think about it you didn't really have a choice in that situation um but yeah there is this real like shame and just it's hard to process it. It's hard for me to even process it now and just think like, why did it happen? What? Why did you let it happen? Like I'm even mad at myself. And I realize that that's kind of part of the, kind of the issue is the blame, like mm. internally, like you did it, you want, you wanted it. Like, that's how I feel. God, isn't that awful? It's horrible. It's not awful.
0: It just, you know, it just is. And I feel like, I feel like, a lot of women feel that way, you know? And I wonder, you know, the truth is, I, this is such a complicated issue and it's like, we're like walking around, you know, mines here waiting for one to explode, I'm sure, because it's so delicate and so nuanced. But, you know, at 20, you are an official, officially an adult. You you do have agency, you know, and yet there are power dynamics at play when somebody is senior to you. And what I what I feel like is, and this is going to be gross generality, and I'm you know, very happy to entertain um, examples that are run contrary to this. But my own experience has been when men have made some bad choices, mm-hmm. uh, some self-destructive choices at some sometimes, or just you know, really fucked up when they were young, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times the internal story they have about that, or at least the one that they, they say uh, to other people is, well, you know, I was young and I made some stupid mistakes when I was young and now I'm older and I make better mistakes, make better choices. Um, And still, you know, that person was kind of a dick to take advantage of me. You know, Uh, yeah, I should have known better at 20 to not get that credit card, you know, but I did. And you know what, that bank really shouldn't have given it to me. Um, And, and those two things could be also true. You could, you know, make better decisions when you're older. And also it, the other person, the other party should have also made a better decision too, you know, or treated you better, whatever it might be, right? That can be true. And I think we need to have some compassion for ourselves for, you know, not being wise and perfect at X age as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of a classic wanting to get ahead, wanting to like be seen, all of those things that are like, consistent across wherever this is happening like the story the story is my story is the same is exactly the same but you know what it's okay to want to get ahead and be seen
0: too i mean that ambition is also okay
1: yeah 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 and then you just think well i just it played out in the wrong way yeah yeah
0: how old are you now rachel 36 36. So if you could go back to your 26 year old self and tell her anything, what would it be?
1: Oh, gosh, so much. <laughs> where, where do I start? Sit down. 30 seconds with your 26 year old self. Yeah. Uh, I think the main thing is not to dilute your personality and not to, not to dilute your weirdness and your quirks for anyone Mm. Because that is what will get you hired and that is what people will love about you. Mm. Um, But then also I would tell her to kick people in the testicles if they are taking advantage as well. (laughs) That would probably be one. Mm -hmm. Um, Wise advice. (laughs)
0: Last one here. What are you really fucking good at?
1: oh I want to say so many things. Um say so many things. Hey. So yeah. many things. I would say the number one thing I'm great at is making people feel good about themselves um and just bringing positivity to everything I do. Like that is what I do and I'm really fucking good at that. Like making people happy, but not in like a weird way, like in a I don't know. Just bringing happiness. That sounds so cheesy.
0: Well, I have the feeling that we could talk for another three hours if we had another three hours to talk. Um, but I want to be conscious of your time. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of it here with us. Um, before I let you go, um, any final requests of the listeners? Anything you'd like them to know? Um.
1: Gosh, just um, keep it real. That sounds so lame, but just, just be real with yourself. Be real with what you're doing. Um, uh, Just, yeah, be truthful, be truthful. And where
0: can people, um, where can people reach you if they want
1: to? Rachel at usingalzag.com. Awesome. And the socials? uh socials are youzigalzag.com um and you can find me on facebook and linkedin if you google you awesome thank you so much for your time thank you it's been Have a great sad. weekend yeah you too i hope
0: you enjoyed chatting with rachel as much as i did if you want to hear more women tell it like it is please subscribe on spotify apple or wherever you get your podcast fix you should also check out the show notes for more info on UZig, I'll Zag, and to sign up for our mailing list so you never miss an update. If you've got a story and you want to tell it like it is, I'd love to hear from you. Do get in touch with me over at soapbox.org.